Everyone has a relationship with gender. What's your story? Hello and welcome to Gender Stories with your host, Dr. Alex Taffy. Hello and welcome to another episode of Gender Stories. Uh, first of all, thank you for your patience. I know that this episode is later than usual and that there was quite a bit of a gap between season two and season three. I do hope that you enjoyed the first two episodes of season three. Um, they encompassed the long conversation I had with the wonderful award-winning sex educator, Bianca Laureano. Um, and if you haven't checked those out yet, I really encourage you to check those out. Some of the reasons why, not an excuse, but just wanting to let you know some of the reasons why there's been so much of a delay is that I've been struggling with some of my own health issues and finally got diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And we also suspect there are some related dysautonomia issues. And, and that's very helpful. You know, diagnosis can be very medical, but there can also be a relief to our system when we know what's going on. And then, of course, coronavirus, COVID-19, hit the world. And the world has not been the same since. So the first thing I want to do in this episode, which will be about gender in the times of coronavirus, is really to take a moment to breathe and check in with you about how you are, dear listeners. How are you doing during this time? How is this impacting you? How has your world changed because of COVID-19? And whatever, wherever you're at or whatever is happening for you, I'd love to hear from you if you want to gender podcast at gmail.com or you can reach me through my website alexiantafi.com I hope you're all okay I hope you're well and uh, I hope you have some stability I also realize that many people have been impacted in terms of economic and housing stability it is a really challenging time so I hope you're safe and I hope you're well and I hope you have support in your life wherever you are in the globe so why talk about gender at a time when this seems to be impacting all of us? And maybe you might be thinking, what's gender got to do with coronavirus, right? With COVID-19. And that's what I want to explore in the solo episode today. And I'm sure we might return to the topic with guests, but today I really kind of want to focus on that. I'm not really uh, going to be focusing on uh, coping with this new reality or on medical facts or on best practices. If you're interested in that, I really recommend an episode from March 10 of 2020 of the Irresistible podcast. Uh, that's the podcast formerly known as the Healing Justice podcast. They have a wonderful episode that they released on March 10, talking about coronavirus and wisdom from a social justice lens. Uh, in that episode, there's also an interview with a medical provider. So check out the episode from Irresistible, formerly known as the Healing Justice Podcast, if that's the information you're looking for in this moment. 
What I do want to focus on for this episode of the podcast is actually gender. And I've been thinking a lot about gender during the time of the coronavirus, and that might be because it's one of the lenses that I really apply to the world. Um, But gender does seem to um, be really at play here in terms of who is impacted, right? So let's take a moment to think about all of the essential care workers, whether they be healthcare workers, hospital staff, hospital cleaning staff, certified medical assistants, um, administrators in hospital and healthcare, therapists, counselors, nurses, but also uh, grocery store uh, clerks, um, uh, people who are kind of taking care of our community, childcare workers, uh, all of those folks tend to be uh, predominantly femme folks, predominantly feminine folks. Those are all professions that are by and large dominated um, by women. Of course, dominated might be the wrong word because I think that uh, women and femme folks are overly represented and often underpaid in many of those professions, of course, and often not kind of uh, at the management levels or the executive levels of other people. And even this language feels strange to use at a time when capitalism seems to have no meaning, because what we really need to focus on is our health, our family's health, and our communities. But I do want us to take a moment to think about how... um, women and femme folks are indeed overrepresented among essential care workers. And what does that mean at the time when also schools are closed in most places and children are home and women and femme folks are also predominantly the caregivers in the home? So I really want to take a moment to think about how many hours women and femme folks might be putting in in terms of taking care of other people, taking care of their children, and taking care of the homes, but also how many conflicting priorities women and femme folks are experiencing during this time of the coronavirus. And talking about childcare, um, that is something I really want us to think about because, of course, not everybody um, is impacted in the same way. Um, some people, like myself, are privileged enough to be able to work from home. But for those of us who might also be predominantly responsible for childcare, what does it look like to balance working from home and taking care of children as well, right? I feel privileged and fortunate that um, my partners are also working from home and are really able to take on the lion's share of childcare during the day while I'm with clients because I'm not able um, to do that um, because of our different jobs. But what happens for single parents, especially single moms, at a time when capitalism keeps going on despite the fact that we should be focusing on the well-being of our families and communities, and many people are required to carry on as usual, almost as if nothing has happened, and work from home and also be caregivers, whether it's of their children, but also of older parents or spouses. Um, What does the division of labor 
in the home and outside the home looks like in this moment? Who is really carrying the burden of care at this time of the coronavirus? And those are questions that I think are worth um, are worth asking ourselves, right? Especially because we are aware that also economic disparities, if we want to look at this through a capitalist, capitalist lens for a moment, not my favorite lens, but here you go. Let's think about economic disparities. Once again, women and femme, femme folks and uh, trans and or non-binary folks are also disproportionately impacted. And of course, within all those categories, the folks who are most impacted are uh, Black, Brown, Indigenous, immigrant, and disabled folks within those ca categories as well, right? There are significant economic disparities that are at play. And I believe that during this time of the coronavirus, we are seeing these economic disparities come even more into, into play. You know, they're really highlighted about who's most impacted. And of course, people who are engaging in gig economies or who are hourly paid and uh, are losing jobs, have been put on furlough or have been fired. And once again, who's most impacted? And I think the way our bodies are gendered, the way our bodies are racialized, the way our bodies are seen as valuable or not, depending on our indigeneity, immigrant status, disability, so, uh, socioeconomic status, and earning capacity and so on, earning capital, really impacts, um, impacts the way we're cared for during this time. And so even though women and femme folks are disproportionately, I would argue, carrying the burden of care during this time of coronavirus, aka COVID-19, you'll hear me use this um, as one in the same during the podcast, um, even though there is this disproportionate uh, carrying of care, I also believe that women and femme folks and trans and, and or non-binary folks, especially those who are black, indigenous, people of color, um, immigrant, disabled, are also the most economically impacted. And so let's think of, of that for a moment, how the same population is carrying a lot of the burden and probably also the most economically impacted in this moment. So those are kind of some of the reflections I wanted to start from, but I also want to think about um, kind of attitudes towards this virus and, and how gender might also be playing a role about how we react to this, this threat, because it is a threat to our immune system uh, individually and collectively, right? It's also a threat to the capacity, not just of our individual immune system, but the capacity of our healthcare system. And uh, in many countries, those healthcare systems are proven to be inadequate. I'm originally from Italy, and I'm far too aware of what is happening at the moment in my home country, how the healthcare system is completely overwhelmed, and how people medical doctors are having to make uh, decisions that no medical doctor should have to make about who gets access to care, who, who gets access to ventilators. And I want to go back to that through the lens of gender in a moment. But first, I want to talk about attitudes towards this virus. 
So for example, who is likely to seek care? We know that there is really good research about how gender might impact who is more or less likely to seek care from medical providers. We know that cisgender men, for example, are less likely to seek care when they're sick. And at a time like this, when you couple that maybe with an attitude of pushing through or needing to be, you know, a macho attitude of having to be strong and invincible, this might also mean that there are men who are not seeking care and who are also potentially exposing other people uh, to the virus if they're not taking seriously the uh, the plea, really, of uh, physically distancing from other people. And in some places, I know that has been enforced. In other, other places, like on the Dakota Anishinaabe land, currently known as Minneapolis, Minnesota, where I live, we do not yet have a shelter in place as of today while I'm recording this episode. So it is really left to people. What kind of choices are they making? So who is likely to seek care? Who is likely to physically distance from other people and take this, um, what do we call a mandate of care for our communities to distance from one another, who's taking that seriously, who's not, who's maybe wanting to take it seriously, but hasn't been um, brought up to show any vulnerability, to show any fear. So might be fearful inside and might be overcompensating with bravado on the outside and with their choices. And um, as well as who is likely to seek care, who is likely to be afraid to seek care? I know as a trans and non-binary person, as a visibly trans and non-binary person, one of my fears, quite frankly, is to end up in the hospital with nobody there to advocate for me, you know, no family, no friends, because quite rightly, we want to contain this. Um, but being in the hands of medical providers who may or may not uh, see my body as valuable. And even as, even as somebody who benefits from white privilege because of my skin color and um, who benefits from considerable educational privilege because of my PhD, I have experienced quite a bit of discrimination and harassment as a trans and non-binary person at the hands of the medical establishment. So now let's think about black and brown, indigenous, immigrant, disabled, trans and non-binary folks being at the hands of the healthcare system that has historically pathologized, marginalized, stigmatized exploited and used also uh, all of those bodies um, in a way that's been really not ethical. Of course, people are afraid to seek care and they might avoid seeking care even when they might need it. And again, during this time, it is so essential for people to uh, seek the support they need. And yet we might be interfacing with the healthcare system that does not have our best interest at heart, that does not see our, our bodies as valuable. And so there is a lot of fear. There is a lot of fear around how our bodies are gendered and racialized and who might be seen as having um, value in this capitalist world. Who's going to be 
assisted and who's not if it comes to the kind of choices that medical doctors have to make in Italy, for example, and which are the bodies um, that are going to be seen as worthy of care. And those are real questions that I have seen uh, discussed a lot in uh, disability community, and we have so much to learn and keep learning uh, from disability movements. I am so grateful to disability justice movement. They have been nurturing my soul for a long time and they sure keep doing so in this moment. Um, And you know, I kind of feel a part of that movement. I feel like I don't do enough disability activism to fully feel part of that movement at the same time, but there are so many lessons that we can learn from um, disability justice movements and so much that we owe them in this moment of crisis and emergency. And one of those um, is, one of those lessons is this gratitude towards the hard discussions that I'm seeing disabled folks have around how can we take care of ourselves if we are afraid to interface with the medical system that might not see our bodies as valuable. And I think that actually a lot of trans and or non-binary folks or queer folks and folks of color might be experiencing some of the same fears. Will my body be seen as valuable? Will the medical doctor see my body because of the way it's gendered and racialized as a body that's worth saving, as a body that's worth caring for? Um, how will um, discrimination play a part in the coronavirus? And those are fears that many of us are carrying in our body. And uh, and I think they're fears that um, we need to talk about out loud. There is something that happens. I've been talking about this a lot with my clients. There is something that happens when we acknowledge the hard feelings. In some way, We want to move away from the hard feelings. We don't want to look at them. Um, They might feel overwhelming. And yet, when we have the support to slow down and breathe and notice the places that are constricted, the places that we don't want to look at, the places that we are pushing away from, once we are held in sitting with those feelings in in, uh, being in relationship to those places. Afterwards, we can breathe a little easier. We can be in better relationship with ourselves. So I I think it's worth talking about those fears. And I think it's worth talking about how gender impacts those fear, impacts those fears for a lot of people, Um, especially I think trans and and or non-binary folks in those moments. And of course, all the places in which those identities intersects with other marginalized identities, such as racialized identities and disabled identities and experiences as well. But as well as fear, there is also hope, right? That where there's fear, there's power and there's hope. And so I think we also need to look at those places of power and hope. And what I'm noticing around me and what I'm really trying to tell my brain to notice, because I think our brain have our brains have that lovely negative bias that wants to go to the hard places first, to the places of danger because that's how we survive. But when we invite our brains to notice what is where is hope, what is going well, 
what is happening that is maybe good, what I'm noticing is that there is so much organizing and there is so much mutual aid happening. I don't know if it's happening everywhere. I really want to hope so. But I know that in this place that we currently know as the Twin Cities, I'm seeing a lot of mutual aid organizing spring up. Uh, there's some that's specific for trans and or non-binary and queer folks. There's some that's specific to neighborhoods. There's some that's specific to elders and disabled folks and uh, many of the intersections thereof. And it's beautiful to see those uh, networks of mutual aid spring up. And uh, I'm seeing people like my beloved friend, Susan Raffle, so reflects on what is the impact on both short-term organizing and longer-term organizing of this virus? How is this changing us and the way we organize? And I'm paraphrasing, and I'm really sorry, Susan, if I misunderstood what you said in your beautiful post um, a week or so ago. But I think there is an opportunity for us to look at those places of mutual hate, mutual aid, those places of hope, and to pause there's an opportunity to pause and notice um, what is our reaction to this moment. Are we noticing those places where there is organizing, where there is mutual aid, where there is a possibility to plug in with purpose, or are we gliding over those networks? And if we're gliding over those networks, why is that? I would say we have an opportunity to ask ourselves, Ask ourselves, what is our first reaction and first thought to this virus? And then what is our second reaction and our second thought? And then what is our third reaction and our third thought? But also posing, pausing and noticing how our first reaction and our first thoughts might be influenced by so many uh, societal and cultural discourses, right? How they might be shaped by ongoing settler colonialism, colonialism, how they might be shaped by patriarchy, how they might be shaped by misogyny, how they might be shaped by racism. Let's take the opportunity, pause and notice how we're reacting, what are reactions shaped by, and in that pause, in that pause is the possibility of choosing to do something different is if our first reaction and our first thought is not in line with our values. When we notice with as much curiosity and as much non-judgment as we can handle in the moment, how our first reactions and first thoughts might be influenced by dominant discourses, including dominant discourses around gender, such as patriarchy, such as misogyny, then we can maybe choose whether we want to wait for a second thought and a second reaction. We want to kind of take a moment. And that is what I'm really wanting to invite you to do, dear listeners. I would like to invite you to pause and take a moment and notice and see how maybe your gender Identities, your gender experiences are showing up um, in this moment of the coronavirus, in this time of dealing with this virus, COVID-19 virus. And is there an opportunity to 
think or act in a different way, or maybe you're completely happy with the way you're thinking and acting. And if you are carrying an undue burden of care and an undue burden of uh, economic inequity and an undue burden of care for others, but also care in the home, or maybe even care for yourself without as much support as you deserve. I hope you can um, hold yourself with compassion and I hope you can find support. So thank you for listening as ever. Thank you for your patience as I've been finding my way back to regularly podcasting. I hope that these reflections are helpful to you. I really welcome your thoughts. I would love to know what you think about gender in the time of coronavirus. And there's also more to say about gender and relationships in the time of coronavirus. But please let me know your thoughts. You can email me at genderstoriespodcast at gmail, or you can also um, contact me through the contact form on my website, alexiantafi.com. And if you want to support me and support this podcast, please subscribe to the podcast. Leave a review if you want to. You can do that on all podcast listening platforms. So you can use your preferred one. We're also a Patreon as Gender Stories. So you can support Gender Stories on Patreon. And uh, also, if you just have some time and you would like to help with catching up with transcripts, I would love to be caught up with transcripts. And there's only so much I can do and so many spoons I have and so many spoons my producer has too. So if you would like uh, to help out with transcribing, I would love to put a bit of an accessibility team together. So please contact me. And of course, as ever, if you have questions about gender, you can also buy the books that Meg John and I have written, How to Understand Your Gender, A Practical Guide for uh, exploring who you are, our first book, and Life is in Binary, our second book. And this year, there are also some more books coming out, uh, both uh, from myself, um, by myself and Mag John. There's actually a book on self-care where we also question the whole idea of self-care. It seems timely at the moment. And um, also an offering that I'm doing with another dear friend about Uh, looking at communicating when we're in conflict through a trauma-informed lens. So I'm going to do my best to kind of keep producing content also on my uh, personal, well, my personal professional Facebook page. So Alex Yantafi, not my personal Facebook page, but my professional Facebook page every morning at 8.20 a.m. U.S. Central Standard Time or thereabouts, I'm offering kind of 10 minutes long somatic check-ins during this time. I'm also uploading them to my YouTube channel at Alexian Taffy. Uh, if you look for Alexian Taffy pandemic somatic check-ins, that should come up. I, that's another offering that I'm doing for community. I hope it's helpful. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for supporting Gender Stories. And until next time, please stay well, be safe, And I hope you get all the support and care that we all deserve. Goodbye.